0: A beautiful singing, and uh, it's a joy to uh, hear from that young man Dema, and it sort of gets us into the hopefully the mood of the message from Isaiah. So I would invite you to be finding the the book of Isaiah in your Old Testament and perhaps center in on Isaiah chapter 49 that's the second servant song that we're covering. And it's in light of my heart that I believe I was moved by the Lord to preach on hope this month. Dima's testimony kind of confirmed that I had heard that he was working through being baptized and wanting to share about the hope that he had experienced. And we all need hope like that. We we need the hope of coming to Christ and being a Christian and then we need to continue to re-engage that hope as Christians throughout our lifetime with all that hits us or is all that's happening in our lives. We need hope. Hope is the bedrock of our Christian experience. First Corinthians thirteen thirteen speaks of faith, hope and love. The greatest of these is love, but don't underestimate hope as one of the synonyms for being a Christian. Hope as a Christian means that you have Jesus, you have heaven, it's locked up, it's secure. It's not a wish, it's not something you, in the world sense, hope happens to you, it has happened to you, and eternal life is now and it's forever. These passages that I'm going to be going through are the servant songs that we're just going to look at the second one this morning. We looked at the first one last week. These servant songs are crescendos of the Messiah's um, testimony. They, they speak of the kind of crescendoing prophecies in Isaiah. Isaiah is prophecy, but they're these high points where Christ is singing of himself, poetically saying of himself that he's Messiah. 700 years B.C., before Christ came physically on earth, he was prophesying of himself that he was coming And there was a potent reason for why he was doing that for Israel because Israel was in a depressed, very threatened, dark place. Think of the children of Israel locked under Pharaoh's um, sort of might in the past. And now you have this later season where Israel has come through um, the kingdom breaking apart, David's kingdom, and then Solomon then breaking apart into the northern and southern kingdom. And the southern kingdom is under wartime threat. It's like World War III is imminent. Sound familiar? It's that kind of oppression. But this is, this is really enemies that were right at the border of the southern kingdom. Jew, um, Hezekiah was the king ruling at this time. He was the 13th king. You have Jeroboam, who went to the northern kingdom, and then Rehoboam, who remained when the kingdom split, and then he's 13th in the line of these southern kings of Judah. He reigned from a age of 25 years old um, for 29 years, 715 to 686. He was... Uh, alive and probably a prince in the southern kingdom watching the northern kingdom be consumed by the Assyrians who were the immediate neighboring threat and the Assyrians were there again and we looked at this last week how the angel of the Lord stepped in and wiped out literally kind of smart bombed all of the Assyrians Syrian army and soldiers that were there 185,000 of them were swept away. But this darkness was still on the southern kingdom. And it was manifest even in an illness where Hezekiah was struck near to death, sick with an inflammation disease, where he was dying and begged God for recovery. He recovered miraculously. He appealed to God for the sake of his own faithfulness to be healed, and God healed him. But word about his healing was so profound that the Babylonian... um, ruler the king of babylon sent envoys or messengers to send him a gift that gift was a sign of perhaps making an alliance with babylon against assyria why wouldn't you babylon is this dominating kingdom to the west that's far bigger than even the assyrians They show up, and chapter 39 of Isaiah talks about how Hezekiah showed his storehouses, showed his military might, showed all of his wealth to the messengers from the king of Babylon. And in doing so, he warranted great rebuke from Isaiah. Isaiah did not like this. The prophet shows up in the name of God and is calling hezekiah's bluff here hezekiah has been this godly ruler he ripped down idols he's done all kinds of god reform in god's government israel but here he's compromising here he's slipping here he's revealing that hezekiah though a godly man he's not messiah he did not give glory to god in this moment and in isaiah 39 verse 5 Isaiah says, hear the word of the Lord, of host, behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father shall be taken away and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Your sons and sons, sons and grandsons, all of them are going to be shipped away they're going to be shipped off into Babylonian secularism apostasy Hezekiah though in selfishness looks at his own situation he says the word of the Lord verse 8 that you have spoken is good for he thought there will be peace and security in my days I'll be good I'm I'm out I'll be able to live my life here and die and come what may and it really was 100 years off till the captivity was coming in 586 BC it's a strange response, but it highlights the fact that we need the Lord. Uh, we can trust in horses, chariots, kings, kingdoms, rulers, elections. We can trust in a lot of things. We can trust in bank accounts, but really we need to trust in the Lord. Uh, the, the, the servant, the one who's singing in these passages. Jesus sings and his father sings over the son in these passages. They're amazing. There's no substitute for Jesus. Isaiah 40, verse 8 is a familiar verse. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. That's a bedrock symbol of Christ who is the word, who stands forever. His commitment, his promises are solid. Isaiah's five servant songs are God's son. On display, and we learned last time in Isaiah chapter 42 that this servant, if you look at verses one to four, here's the first servant song He's a servant, he's the one whom the Father said, Whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. That's amazing. I have put my spirit upon him. You remember, the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus, he will bring forth justice to the nations, he will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. He's not a boisterous leader. He's not about himself. He came in meekness and humility. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He was the shepherd. He was God's shepherd on earth, as God, very God, helping people, binding up the brokenhearted, not blowing out their wick, mending people's heartache. That's the Lord. Jesus, he will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. He's there to reach the whole world in this way. This is a distinguishing marker of who Jesus is, this servant, this spirit-empowered servant. Well, going to the next servant song in chapter 49 I wanted to be careful not to miss a lot of the thunder and lightning that's in between. And I say that because it builds the context again for the servant. Why does Israel need to know about a servant like this? It's because Babylon is coming. This dark, looming, oppressive like transformation to their southern kingdom is going to happen. They're going to be swept away. And people in their mind's eye need to be able to see beyond the darkness to the light. And that's the key to hope, even for your own life. You have trials, you have something coming, but you need to see beyond Babylon to Jesus. And that's what Isaiah is all about. You say, I can't understand Isaiah. That's a giant book. I mean, I had to dive into it myself for the last two weeks. It's a lot to swim around in. But if you understand that there are five servant songs that magnify Jesus, and in between these These gaps that are made in this book about the servant are ways that we're supposed to fight to love and see Jesus as hope beyond Babylon. That's the key to understanding the book of Isaiah. It's the key to the Christian life, seeing hope behind beyond what is dark in your life. So let me just build the context between chapter 42 and 49 quickly by um, touching on the high points, chapter by chapter, leading up to the second servant song. Isaiah 42.10, this, this is a command. This is, how do you live in light of hearing about this servant? Uh, there is a servant, a Messiah. How do we, what do we do? Verse 10, sing to the Lord a new song. That, when you hear about Jesus you believe, you sing about him. Verse 6, the immediate context. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other. We sing about that because we can know this God who's a one-of-a-kind God Through Christ. Another command, verse 18 of chapter 42 Hear you deaf, and look you blind that you may see. Blindness and deafness. Uh, Might remind us back to Isaiah 6. Remember, Isaiah went in as the prophet being called on this mission to preach for God. He saw the Lord Jesus. John's gospel says that was literally a vision of the Lord Jesus lifted up in the temple, the throne room of God. And he fell in this sort of self-immolation saying, woe is me, I'm undone. And the God restored him, restored his lips symbolically with uh, the coal from the tongs that were laid on his mouth. It's a picture of the gospel in his life. And he says, who will go for me? Isaiah says, I'm first up to bat. Here I am, send me. He says, great, go, but you're going to preach. And many people are going to stay blind. And many people are going to say, stay deaf. Isaiah 6, 9, go and say to the people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. It's this preaching to people who will not listen. And yet the call is for people to hear and see anyway and a remnant does verse 43 well here's another response by way of command verse 1 fear not for i have redeemed you fear not verse 5 fear not for i am with you you see that um chapter 44 verse 2 fear not O jacob my servant fear not Back to verse 40, um, chapter two, uh, 43, verse 2. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. Through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. For here, catch this key point. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. He's it. I am he. Why is that significant? Because this God puts up with so much idolatry. And so much about what's going wrong in terms of compromise in the life of Israel, in the life of these believers, they would compromise and they would cycle away from him. And then God would say, I am God and there is no other. And then he would bring a message of grace. Look at Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25, right in the middle of this context of fearing not. Look at this. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Put me in remembrance. Let us argue together. Set forth your case that you may be proved right. I mean, these are incredible texts. Your first father sinned and your mediators transgressed against me. Therefore, I will profane the princes of the sanctuary and deliver Jacob to utter destruction and Israel to reviling. The idea again, fear not. Verse 6 of chapter 44 says, I am the first. I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Again, it's the cycle of God is God and He's one of a kind. I am God and there is no other like me. And then the digression of falling into idolatry and then the call of grace. I will blot out your transgressions. I am your Redeemer. And it's just the reset over and over again. And this is the cycle that's in the context of being solid to understand. Everything is found in hope with Christ. These servant songs are what anchor this commitment that Israel could be saved. Chapter 45 goes into a different arena where it's talking about Cyrus, who's the anointed Persian king, who's ultimately going to overwhelm Babylon for what they do against Israel. And you, if you're staying with me right now, if you're doing some Bible study, you're going, well, didn't God task Babylon to put a beat down on Israel and put them in Babylonian captivity, then why is the king of Persia, Cyrus, predicted by name 150 years before this was going to happen, Cyrus is handpicked by name and Isaiah says his name that he's going to come and overwhelm Babylon. Why? Because when you mess with God's people, even if it's part of God's plan, there has to be justice against that. And that's what he's saying. He literally is saying, verse 2, I will go before you. Cyrus is coming. I'll go before you and level the exalted places. He's the anointed one for me. He's the unbeliever who I've set apart to do this, and then I'm going to level these exalted places. And why? Because verse 5, I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. There's a lot. There's a lot here. Chapter 45 Here's a redemption text. Turn to me and be saved to all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. Now here's a reference that will fast forward to Philippians 2. Listen to this. To me, every knee shall bow. Isn't that incredible? This is all from Isaiah. Isaiah. I mean, Paul, though, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, grabbed this stuff. He still got a lot of his content from somewhere. Every tongue shall swear allegiance. Babylon was going to be crushed. Chapter 47, verse 5 Sit in silence and go in darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans. You'll be crushed by Persia, you lovers of pleasure. Chapter 48. Verse 16, here's a redemption text again. Draw near to me. Hear this. From the beginning, I have not spoken in secret. And from the time it came to be, I have been there. And now the Lord has sent me and his spirit. And he calls the children of Israel. This is a picture of the end of the Babylonian captivity. 586, they go in. 70 years later, they come out. In verse 20, here it is, go out from Babylon, flee, run from Babylon, flee from Chaldea, declare this with a shout of joy and proclaim it, send it out to the end of the earth, say the Lord has redeemed me, his servant Jacob, verse 21, a parallel to the deliverance of the children of Israel from Egyptian captivity, verse 21, they did not thirst when, they, when he led them through the deserts. He made water flow from them from the rock and he split the rock and the water gushed out of it. Or gushed out. There's darkness and there's light. There's hopelessness, then there's hope. Uh, Everything's bleak, the pressure is coming, and we need to see beyond that pressure and see Jesus for salvation. There's going to be a way out. There's gonna be a way to run away from Babylon and run to Jesus. That's the storyline of Isaiah, and it's, it's all the prologue and the prelude to chapter 49, which is the second servant song. And this is the second servant song, Where the Lord is speaking of himself. And again, the the prologue to this is 700 years before he's even coming. 701... Hezekiah's is power, judgment's promised. 586, Babylonian captivity was coming. 539, Persia will bring judgment on Babylon. That's the big sweep. And in the middle of this, you have God is God, Israel failing, Israel redeemed, and a Savior is coming. And then now here, the Savior speaks. This is where it all breaks into song. Song number two. What we have here is a Messiah who is distinct from all would-be saviors. So if you're taking notes, and this is my header for the outline here, what makes Messiah distinct from all would-be saviors? The point number one is this. Messiah testifies, I am a distinct Messiah. That's verses one to four. I stand out. Jesus is one of a kind. And all of the markers around Christmas make him one of a kind. The story of him being born of a virgin perfect and sinless, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, right? Veiled the incarnate deity. These are the markers of Jesus. And we find these at 700 BC at the beginning of this song in chapter 49. Listen, it says, listen to me, O coastlands. It's a world stage and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb And from the body of my mother, he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. And surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. What do we learn about Jesus here? He's distinct, first of all, in his being human. He's sovereignly conceived in the womb. He's human. We know this to be true. Who's he telling this to? To the whole coastlands, all the islands. He's telling Anchorage, Alaska this. He's telling all over the world. North America, South America, Asia, Eurasia, Europe, Africa. Everywhere. All the islands, all the peoples of the world. That's the audience. The Lord called me from the womb, meaning he is fully human, though the Messiah who is fully God. He is this redeemer. From the body of my mother, verse 1, Who's the mother that's Mary? Here's Mary. Not mentioned by name, but here she is. Jesus born of a virgin, Isaiah 7:14. From a virgin shall he be conceived. She shall bear a son and his name shall be called what? Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1 verse 26. Let's just read this. This Prediction from Gabriel, the angel who met Mary, Luke chapter one, verses 20, 26 to 33. This prophecy is in light of all that goes before in terms of Israel's history. In the sixth month of the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. This is a king in the line of David that is Messiah, that is perfect, that is worthy to be worshiped, to be followed. He's incarnate, sinless, born of a virgin. Point two, under the Messiah being a distinct Messiah, he testifies that he came from a hidden state, hidden to be revealed at the perfect time, hidden. This is the idea of the New Testament where Paul talks about a mystery. A mystery isn't just something that's confusing, like a puzzle that's supposed to be solved or like a murder mystery movie. It's something that was not fully understood, not fully disclosed, that then was brightly revealed so the word mystery is talking about the fact that we didn't have full understanding of it and then it came really clear that's the theology behind what jesus says of himself he said he made my mouth verse two like a sharp sword in the shadow of his hand he hid me and he made me a polished arrow in his quiver he hid me away and he said to me you are my servant israel in whom i will be glorified so Jesus was coming from the Jews and he came at the perfect time. The last prophecy of Malachi closed the Old Testament time period of Revelation and then there were 400 years of intertestamental silence and then there was a dawning. 700 BC is when this is written, so 700 years later, There's the dawning of Jesus, and he's this arrow that comes. He's this message that comes. He's the one who comes like a sharp sword. Everything that we know about Jesus is known by what he said and what was written of him under the inspiration of scripture. He is the word of God made flesh. And we know of him from what we read of him, but also by what he said and what he taught as the truth he is the truth, and the truth came at a perfect time 2,000 years ago in a way that technology had just sort of hit where the road system from Egypt um, followed up almost through a land bridge called Israel and could populate out across Rome and the Roman Empire, the Road system, the language was was perfect for it to be broadcast and for Christ to be known, even though he was um, performing a ministry in a relatively small, obscure area, the message of Christ got out, and it got out around the world, and it was like it came at the perfect time. He was hidden in God's hand, and then he's this arrow that shot out of the quiver, Galatians five four and five. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Think of Jesus as the sharp sword. We think of the sword of the Word of God. Ephesians six seventeen. That's that dagger blade that we are equipped with in the Christian life. The Word of God that searches our own hearts. Ephesians four twelve. In Revelation nineteen fifteen, the sword of the mouth. Of the sword that will come out as the word of God from Christ himself to slay rebellious nations. The last marker and distinct, distinct marker of Christ is that he was humble. He was human, he was hidden, and he's humble. He's humble, dependent on the Lord For strength through rejection. This is a marker of the Messiah. This is how we know we have the right Messiah. Because this is exactly what happened to him. Look at verse 4. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. What is that referencing? That's Jesus who's exasperated over the rejection that he's experienced from Israel. They don't want him. He says, yet surely my right is with the Lord. He knew he was following the Father's will. God was with him. And my recompense... With my God. God is the one who blesses. God is the one who gives recompense for what he's done. Where everyone else was rejecting him. He was dependent on the Lord in his humility. He's being affirmed by God the Father now. Because in verse 5, it says, and now the Lord says, and this brings us to our second big point. The first is Messiah testified that he, had, he was a distinct Messiah. And secondly, he says, I'm on a distinct mission. And this is the father saying it of, of the son. First, again, look at the human, humanity of Christ. It says, now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord and my God has become my strength. This is Jesus again testifying of himself, I should say. This is is Jesus saying that he was formed in the womb to bring Jacob back, to go to the Israelites, to go to the Jew first and then to the Greek, to win the remnant as predicted in Revelation 7, the 144,000 that would be saved, to go to... The lost sheep of the house of Israel, as he sent his disciples to do in Matthew 10, 5, and 6. To go to the Gentiles, but then again to the Jews that will be ingathered at the end in Romans 11, 25 through 27. He is human to do this. He was on mission to do this. Secondly, in verse 6, he's unhidden. Unhidden. He says... This is where the Father is speaking. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob. It's as if the Father is having a response to the Son and what he says. Is it too light a thing that you should go on this mission and to bring back the preserved of Israel, the remnant? And then he broadens it from the Jew to all the nations. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Are you glad that you're part of this plan? Just think about it. And we're glad for Christmas. We're glad for presents, kids, right? You're glad for family. You're glad for the blessing of all of that. But life hits hard and the season will end. Christmas will be over and you've got to kind of reset and start again. And my encouragement to you is to re grasp your relationship with the Lord and see that He is singing the song about you. You're part of this plan, you're part of the nations. You say, Where do I get this from? Well, fast forward again to Luke chapter 2. In Luke 2, you have the presentation of the Lord. He's been born and he's being brought in by Mary and Joseph according to the law to present him in the temple to offer the sacrifice. And Simeon is there, and Simeon is this aged prophet who was given what has been called in Latin language the Nuke, nuke Dimitus, which is, I, I, I will not depart until I'm given this blessing of God. Look at verse 22 And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, therefore, was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, waiting for Israel to be consoled for all of the pain that it had brought on upon itself from sin... And also the oppression of Rome says, and the Holy Spirit was upon him and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the nuke dominus. And he came in the spirit and into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he, the Simeon, took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. Quoting directly from our passage in Isaiah 49, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory, for glory to your people, Israel. Verse 7, back in chapter 49 of Isaiah, begins to steer things towards the sober and sad rejection that Jesus would go through, but not without hope. Look at verse 7. This is Jesus being humbled. He's human. He's unhidden, and he's humbled. These are parallel points to the first section where I said, again, born of a womb, born of a virgin in a womb, human, and then he was hidden and revealed at the perfect time, and then he is humbled where he was under this exasperation. Why am I being rejected by the Jews? Why are my people not wanting me? And then he goes on mission, verse 5, as the human Messiah, fully God, fully man, who is unhidden, he's a light to the Jews, but also to the nations, verse six. And then again, he is humbled. Thus says the Lord, the redeemer of Israel and his holy one to one deeply, do you see these words? Deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers. This is the Messiah. This is the one who gives us hope. Why does this kind of Messiah give us hope? If Jesus was propped up in sort of self-glorifying, fleshly empowerment, you know, ultimately that might be energizing for a moment, but it would kind of fade because it doesn't resonate with the world that we live in. Jesus comes as the suffering servant. He comes humble, humble meek lowly he meets you right where you are he engages you right in your life circumstance he's the suffering servant who can relate to what you're going through tempted in all ways just like we were yet without sin this is your messiah now will he come in his second advent in his return in conquering force absolutely but he's this same savior And ultimately, he wins. Look at the end of verse 7. Kings shall see and arise. Princes shall, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. They'll fall on their faces before this Lord. Philippians 2 is the ultimate encapsulation of everything that I've talked about so far. Verse five, have this mind in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he did not account equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's a nice New Testament infusion into this Old Testament prediction. Again, it echoes Isaiah 45:23, "To me, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance." Ultimately, God wins. Jesus is victorious. He's validated as the Savior. Let me ask this question. It's been a big Bible lesson, a lot to take in, a lot to work through, getting your arms around Isaiah on Christmas Eve service. You said, I just was going to come here once a year or twice a year, and you backed up the dump truck of Isaiah on me. Thank you very much. But did you remember what that young man said in there in the waters of baptism? He said he was hopeless and he found hope like this. Lights were turned on. Do you see Jesus in your heart as your savior? Do you know who he is? Is he singing this song to your heart and into your life? Because if you're hanging on to your sin and trying to earn your way to heaven or keep yourself right or make yourself right or use things to try to numb yourself from reality instead of seeing and looking to Jesus, then you could still be lost and you might need to be found. You might be blind, but you need to see this light, this one who, though God was human, though God was hidden for a time and then unhidden, and then though he is God, he was humble and he's humbled to meet you where you are and save you. So if you don't know the Lord, come to the Lord Jesus and believe. Re-grasp who he is, even as a Christian. Know this Savior and worship him as the God who has come in flesh to meet you and to love you and follow him all of your days.